Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello and welcome to ADCS's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Sasha Yulman, the Director of Diabetes Education and Prevention Programs at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we're talking about precision medicine, with Alifia Fazulaboy, a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist who recently co-authored a paper on this topic in ADCS and practice. Alifia has over 15 years of experience in a full range of practice settings, working with several patient populations. So she has some practical insights into how this topic might be relevant to you and your patients. In this episode, you'll learn about different variations of this model of care, how it's different than person-centered care, and how it stands to improve health outcomes for people with diabetes. The paper is available now in the January issue of ADCS in Practice, and a link is available in the show notes. Welcome, Alifia, to the huddle. Could you start by introducing yourself to our listeners? I'm sure they'd love to hear some details about your background in diabetes care and how you first got involved in the association. Thank you, Sacha, uh, first of all, for having me for this podcast, and it's really nice being here. So I've been in the field of diabetes for a number of years, and I've been very fortunate to work in different areas with diabetes care. Um, Currently, I work in a large academic practice, which is endocrinologists, nurse practitioners, nurses, dietitians, and diabetes care and education specialists. And our practice is very robust, and I have the opportunity to work with adults from different walks of life, different backgrounds. Um, It's a very inclusive culture of care, and this is really what we're seeing now with diabetes education. Um, I've also worked in both the inpatient, the ambulatory care setting, and different patient care populations spanning pediatrics, um, diabetes and pregnancy, uh, adults with cystic fibrosis, and now back to adults. So it's definitely been a great journey, and I feel like I learn every step of the way. You know, in this role, as I've been growing along, I've been both mentor, mentee, and I think it's so great to give back um, what you learn along the way. And I think volunteering is such a great part of that. And being a member of the Association for Diabetes Care and Education Specialist and being part of the Professional Practice Committee, I think, um, has been a very enriching experience for me. I'm chair for this year, and I think it's a great honor to be, you know, in a committee with so many dedicated healthcare professionals. Again, all of us wanting to give back in networking and, you know, being part of such exciting and new developments in in the community. So I encourage actually everyone to be a volunteer, to give back. And just as an aside, when I was approached to do this podcast, you know, I'd mentioned to you, I was nervous about talking about this. And then I think, you know, and I'm mentioning this only because I think many people think they have such a large, you know, such vast experience And oftentimes they're just hesitant because they feel they don't meet the criteria. So really, I would say to my listeners is there is no criteria. It's really, if you're a diabetes care and education specialist, you're already the first step there. You're there because you care 
and you want to make sure that you're taking care of the person with diabetes. So definitely be a part of that. Absolutely. And I think ADCS definitely appreciates such diverse um, backgrounds and experiences. And that's really the magic of our committees. And the work we do is having such a um, multidisciplinary and professional network within our organization is, is really what makes it magic. So we appreciate your volunteering and advocating for that. Thank you. It's been a, a great journey, like I said, and it's ongoing. It's good to hear. I think that it shouldn't be intimidating that we're a welcoming organization and everybody has something to offer. So let's talk really about our topic today. Today, we're going to be talking about precision medicine. And I, you know, I think our listeners may or may not be familiar with precision medicine. So to get us all on the same page, could you help us kind of define what precision medicine is and kind of when and where this model of care was first introduced? Right. So when you think about precision medicine and personalized medicine, right, these are terms which have often been used interchangeably. There is some overlap, and so there could be some misinterpretation with the terms. But in precision medicine, the focus is really to identify which approaches are most effective for which patient, taking into account the difference in gene, environment, lifestyles of people. We're talking about basically tailor-making disease prevention and treatment based on these entities. So the goal, if I had to say so, of precision medicine is to target the right treatment to the right patient at the right time, right? And we know that data analytics can play an important role. And this differentiates really precision medicine from standard medicine, so to speak. So when you're looking at precision medicine, you're talking about precision diagnosis, uh, the therapeutics, the treatment, prognosis, prevention, and monitoring. And our paper really exploring the role of precision medicine in diabetes published in the ADCS in practice was an effort by our team to look comprehensively at what the classifications of diabetes are, the diagnostic criteria, the treatment, the education for each one of these. We know that, you know, the different models out there, and we were so surprised when we took a deeper dive into this thing, how many models there are, because it's important to understand what the pathophysiology of the diabetes or the disease processes leading to better diagnosis. And ultimately, we're looking at better treatment, right, or more accurate treatment. So just looking at, if I had to say, in terms of precision medicine, specifically at diabetes, we looked at the different classification models of diabetes. We looked at specifically five models, and these explained more in depth in the paper. Um, but just briefly, the first one was the American Diabetes Association model. And this looked at the stages of diabetes progression leading to hypoglycemia, the concept that presentation of diabetes we know that can change over time. This can be a really cost-effective method, but it can delay treatment. Um, someone who is, you know, not tested for antibodies, for example, may be treated as someone with type 2 diabetes and therefore leading to a delay in the access to insulin treatment. Um, another model is the World Health Organization model. And this is kind of the focus of that model is more a broad subtype of diabetes. It looks at healthcare settings worldwide, right? So it's looking to make sure you're including um, settings which may not have necessarily all the resource. Um, so they may not have all those diagnostic testings you're looking for. And so it may not be as refined as the American Diabetes Association classification system. And really the country's resources determine whether the use of additional tests like the you know beta cell antibodies, the C-peptide levels, the presence of ketone bodies, all of this, could that be obtained diagnostically? And again, the reason I talk about these models is it's because it's important to know 
how we're talking about precision medicine, what the conceptual ones are. And so if you're really talking about the conceptual models of diabetes, right, you're talking about the diabetes cluster model, which is looking at data analytics. And this looks at your um, specific antibodies as the GADs, the age of when a person was diagnosed with diabetes, the body mass index. We're looking at the A1C, the estimate of the beta cell function and insulin resistance. And each of these clusters, depending on how they kind of manifest, so to speak, has a distinctive treatment pathway. Then you have the palate model, and this is based more on phenotypes, environmental exposures, and genetic data, and looks at factors that contribute mainly to type 2 diabetes. And then you have the beta-centric model, which focuses on targeted therapeutics based on pathways that cause decreased pancreatic beta cell mass and on secretion. So when you're talking about these three newer conceptual models, right, these are including metabolic genetic testing, including lifestyle and environmental data for best therapeutic decisions and preventive care. So it's a little bit more involved than your standard medicine, you know, as you could clearly tell from just having the different five models. But I think it's so important because diabetes is really not a one-size-fits-all disease. And that's why precision medicine is so important when you're looking at what is going to improve diabetes diagnosis and treatment? Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like you're talking about like the ultimate person-centered care with not only just, you know, that personal impact of meeting people where they are, you know, in conversation. It's really getting into the science of it. You also touched on, I think we tend to think of diabetes as type 1, type 2 gestational. And I think where you were kind of headed is there's a lot more to it than that, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I would say is kind of the standard classification. Again, it may have been just a more cost-effective method to look at it in terms of the World Health Organization, just looking at, again, what the resources are. But we know, as I said again, that diabetes is not a one-size-fits-all. And so when you have more data, the data analytics that is going to help you looking at genetics, looking at the environmental factors, looking at all of these different ways where we could develop treatment options based on all of these factors, I think we would have just so much more, you know, in-depth appropriate treatment. Again, getting back to giving the right treatment to the right person at the right time, really defining what precision medicine is. So in our paper, actually, we've gone through a, a case study, which I do encourage people to read the paper. And this talks about a white non-Hispanic female who was initially uh, diagnosed and looked at as someone with classic type 1 diabetes um, because of the weight loss, the way she presented, um, and with a family history uh, with an older brother having type 1. However, when they did the labs, what they did find is that there was really undetectable insulin autoantibodies in GAD. Um, the A1C was elevated. They did basal bolus therapy. But however, what they found is that this person actually went into hypoglycemia, even though they kept adjusting the insulin. And then when they looked at why this could be potentially happening, they explored reasons for that. That's when genetic testing was brought into play. And they found there was a defect in the HNF1A gene. So for this particular person, the treatment option was, was so different than the standard, okay, they needed basal bolus therapy. And I think that's what I would say the appeal of having this testing and looking at it more closely is in precision medicine. Are you an advanced practice practitioner looking for a way to demonstrate your diabetes expertise? If so, consider the Board Certified in Advanced Diabetes Management Certification. The application deadlines are May 1 and November 1 each year. Learn more at diabeteseducator.org forward slash BCADM. 
how would you say these concepts in precision medicine, I think you've started to touch on it, but really intersect with social determinants of health. I mean, that's the thing we're always talking about and such an impact on person-centered care. So how would you say precision medicine is different than person-centered care, or is this kind of an aspect of person-centered care? It absolutely is, right? So when you were talking about social determinants of health, we're talking about the conditions of places where people are living, working, learning, playing that affect their wide range of health risks and outcomes, right? You know, what are the social determinants of health? Their healthcare access and quality, the economic stability, education access, access to their neighborhood, built environment, social community context, all of these are parts of social determinants of health. So we already know that part of that is having a sedentary lifestyle, nutrition, environmental factors, all of these could play a role in diabetes. But in precision medicine, we're looking at specifically, we're looking at genetics, we're looking at biomarkers, we're looking at, you know, is a particular population, so to speak, developing those predictive analytics, which will help us diagnose the patient, basically helping prevent misdiagnosis, because we want to make sure that we're taking this into context and not dealing access to care and appropriate treatment for this person with diabetes. So I think that's what's important is to start thinking about what are the barriers of care and and improving access to care. That's really what we're looking for in both person-centered care and, and taking into account these social determinants of health. Absolutely. And when I think like working clinically, I, I, I can think of a few patients that I saw that I thought, gosh, they're diagnosed with type 1, but something doesn't really add up. Or type 2, why is this so aggressive? So I think one of the things I'm wondering, some of our listeners are probably wondering is, how do I get this? And why isn't precision medicine being used widely at the moment? Like, what are the challenges and why aren't we seeing this um, probably as, as often as we would hope? And that's a great question, Sacha. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, I've had those patients as well, you know, coming into my practice and I'm thinking, is this actually, you know, are they presenting with type 2 diabetes? Is there something that we're missing? Uh, You know, now they're in every class of oral medication and they're doing all the right things. What are we really missing? Um, And I remember working with this this person and, uh, you know, it was actually in one of the, I presented that at the ADCS conference last year. Um, when we were discussing precision medicine. And we spoke about this person we followed through the pediatric kind of the adolescent practice all the way to the adult when she came to our practice and we took her on as a patient. And it was very interesting to look at the fact that she had, you know, diabetes. We're looking at BMI. We're looking at that. And she was started on an oral medication and it was metformin. And then they tried insulin and still not good control. And that's when genetic testing was done. Again, it sounds so much easier, this whole diagnosis took a good six years. And I think that's really what we're coming to is health insurances, even here in the United States, is not really covering genetic testing. And I think that's one of the biggest drawbacks. And then you're talking about saying, what is the interpretation of those results? We can't, again, do a blanket statement saying, you know, how, how what is the testing that's done? What are the quality labs that are available? Is there somebody who is interpreting these results correctly? So I think there's a lot of disparities with that. We're also talking about disparities in race and gender, how people are receiving care, right? So when we talk about social determinants of health, people in different socioeconomic strata, for example, may also not have the same access to care. So testing may be delayed. So it's not, again, that easy to get genetic testing done. And we have to figure out how are we going to utilize these results from genetic testing? How are we going to interpret these results correctly so we could use them in setting much more as a board of practice. 
So then when you're talking about precision medicine and these tests, I think what comes to mind is when I go to conferences as a dietitian, I've seen companies that are like asking for poo samples or saliva. Is that what you're talking about in precision medicine or is it different? Not really. I, I would say that's really different. And you're right. Our listeners may have that question as well. You know, there's so much available now with the internet and how much is there out there. But I say the same thing again. How are we really using any of this information that's there from these samples? Are they really from companies that are regulated? You know, are their test kits regulated? What is the sample that they're obtaining? You know, what is the integrity of this sample? Um, when you're getting this, who is not only just interpreting the results, but it's such a vast field that I think trying to pull from that, it may not be all inclusive. And sometimes you could get, again, um, when you get results, but you don't know how to, what to do with them, so to speak, you're kind of stumped. And so I really wouldn't say that's the same thing at all, because there are definitely limitations with that as well. Yeah. And so... I guess as precision medicine evolves and becomes more accepted, I mean, as a diabetes care and education specialist, I get really excited about this. But what role do you think we play? So again, I think when we're looking at, you know, one of the major roles, or I think the main role is our focus on patient-centered care, right? Or person-centered care. That's really what we're looking for. So the many human factors which we need to consider um, that is not necessarily considered by genetics. So again, looking at what the social determinants of health are, where people are based in different by either, you know, are they getting the same kind of health insurance coverage? I think working with them to see what's really uh, the different roles you could play in, in saying, you know, nutrition, if you're talking about activity levels, working with them as an individual as well. Um, I think that's really important. And these are not factors necessarily when you're looking at just genetics and precision medicine. So you really want to take that. So I definitely think there is that clinical piece where you're looking at genetics, where you're looking at things that can improve their quality of life. But we're also looking at, you know, overall improving also their medical care, the efficiency and making sure we're effective in, in terms of translating that to them you know, in terms of diabetes education. Yeah, it really comes back to that art and science. When I was training a lot of our team members, when I was working clinically, I always told them it's really, it's both science and art because there's that conversation and just getting to know the person. Um, there's a little bit of art to that along with the science, right? I would definitely say so, right? So I know we'd look at someone and we say, you know, it's very interesting when sometimes somebody comes in and you already have a set agenda. This is what I'm going to discuss with a person. But I think really asking that person, you know, what do you think you are really doing that could be a little different? Because a lot of times people have an idea, they may need some guidance with that. But the person with diabetes who's, you know, coming in to see you already knows what they need to change, but they just need help along that or they need that motivation to do that. And I think that's where we come across as partners in their care. I love it. So that's really what we're looking at. So all of these are great tools in your toolbox is, is a way I would look at it. But really, again, focusing on saying, what can I help the person with? Is it access to, you know, medication? Is it access to resources, maybe for food? Are those things that I need to focus on before I go into more in-depth in, in terms of looking at, you know, genetics and looking at, you know, the wider kind of, you know, that's very important to include. But what is the basics that I could start off with a person? I think that's very important as well. Yeah, it sounds like regardless of what, you know, the science or our agenda, what we know the person needs, I mean, really, it always comes down to you have a conversation and 
help them with their priorities and then go from there, right? Absolutely. I think we need to look at what the person wants. When we talk about, you know, again, it could be a buzzword if you're not using it correctly when when you're saying person-centered care, but that's really what it is. Sitting with a person and saying, you know, how can I help with this person? Again, it's a symbiotic relationship in the sense of when I say that, you're there to help take care of the person to the best of your ability and to the best that they could help them in, in, in those circumstances. So again, making sure we're able to kind of equip their arsenal of tools so that they could help themselves as well. Yeah, I think our biggest job is really listening and really setting up an environment where people feel comfortable talking to us. And I think that's what our members do best. Absolutely. I strongly agree with that. Nice. So, you know, if anyone listening would like to learn more about this, would like to get more involved with opportunities like these coming from the association, what would you recommend? So uh, first of all, of course, I would say, you know, go back to reading. If you read the paper, it's available in the January issue of ADCS and practice. And I think that would give you really much more of an idea of what we're talking about in this paper, exploring the role of precision medicine in diabetes diagnosis. And then, of course, for anyone looking to get involved, I would say volunteer. That's the absolute number one thing I would say, because there's so much, as I already said, you could get out of that. So I think that would be the number one on the list is volunteer, be a part of the association, um, give back in different ways. You could network with people. You make great friends. So I think it's it's great. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think anywhere you are in the path of either being a diabetes care and education specialist or trying to learn more, you know, there's a volunteer place for you at our organization where you're just getting started. It can help with mentorship, you know, and as you progress, it can help you build those relationships and, and do exciting things like podcasts with us, right? Absolutely. I think this was a great experience. So thank you again for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle. As we just heard from Alifia, precision medicine holds great potential to improve diagnosis of diabetes and therefore treatment plans and health outcomes. Make sure to learn more about this model of care by downloading the full practice paper. You can find it in the January issue of ADCS in Practice or linked in the show notes at diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And remember, being an ADCS member gets you access to all issues and articles in ADCS in Practice. Discover the many resources, education, and networking opportunities available to ADCES members by visiting diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult with your healthcare professional for any medical questions.